0: everything we do comes down to waking the world up to Jesus and so during this kids choir experience your kids are going to be waking up to the truth of the Bible waking up to God's love for them and and really waking up to their opportunity to serve they have gifts and they're going to be using them and it ends with that huge concert at the end so I'm excited about that but it really did get me thinking about, hey, the parents are in this too. The parents have to bring their kids and be a part of this experience, so why shouldn't we give you the same opportunity? So I- I've been working on and praying through uh, a journey experience of pursuing God. I've never done a teaching like this, and so I'm, I- I'm going to be walking through how we can pursue God and what it means to pursue God and the implications, and and so just for you those of you who are bringing kids to Kids Choir, just for you parents, I'm, I'm going to be providing this teaching experience. And so I hope you'll be a part of it. And I really do hope that as your kids grow, so will you, that all of us, as we learn to pursue God, will finally wake up to the life and fullness He has for us. Hope to see you next week.
1: Well, good morning, Northridge. Ah, thank you. What an honor it is to be with you guys today. My name is Chris Crutchley, and I am the campus pastor at our Brighton campus. For those of you who are here for your first time, we are one church in four locations. So, Graciel, Celine, Brighton, good morning. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us. And, and for all those watching online, man, what an honor it is to have you joining us. Uh, just last week, I was looking at our online presence and watching people post comments as they were watching from other countries. And so, man, what an honor it is to have you here. In fact, at a service previous to this one, my wife actually sent me a text, and this is kind of funny, uh, that my two-year-old daughter was watching me online this morning, and she was very frustrated that I wasn't responding to her as I was teaching. And so, welcome to a FaceTime culture. But man, really, if you are online, thanks for being here. Thanks for being with us. So today's message that I would like to bring to you has been writing itself over the last 18 months. And by no means is it finished, but I do wanna share with you where I've been and where God has brought me here today. And so I, just for a few minutes, if you just oblige. Uh, so uh, 18 months ago, it was an August summer day in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we were outside playing in our backyard. My kids are playing on their, uh, on their uh, what are those things called they play on? <laughs> Playsets, thank you. <laughs> no, it's gonna be a fun service. On their, on their playset, set. They were swinging and I, I got a text from my dad that was just a, hey, want to give you an update? Your cousin, my mom's niece, has been admitted to the hospital. You know, just begin praying for her. They're not sure what's going on. So, you know, of course, hey, we're praying. Keep us posted is my response. And so the day goes on. You know, hours pass and we, and we get another text. Hey, um, things aren't looking good. A test revealed that she has a, a brain tumor. And, and the doctors are, uh, are, you know, they're advising to do surgery immediately. And so they're heading to surgery. Oh, okay, wow. I'm Praying, keep us posted. And so the next morning, we hear that she's out of surgery. Um, they immediately send her to rehabilitation because through the surgery, she's lost some of the ability to speak, uh, maybe walk. Some motor functions have been lost in this. And they've sent the tumor off for a biopsy. And we'll know in a couple of days uh, what was going on, what It's just cancer, and so she goes immediately into rehabilitation, and two days pass, and we get the news that no one wants to hear. uh, This tumor is actually cancerous, but not only is it cancer, it's, it's the worst form of brain cancer you can have, and the doctors immediately tell the family, you've got six months. I remember, like, this is all happening through text conversation with my dad updating me. I remember thinking, okay, like, you know, God, What are you doing? What's happening? I mean, my cousin has a young family. She had two young girls at the time, and I just remember thinking, okay, all right. God, what are you doing? Um, But our season in that moment wasn't over. You see, my wife and I, four months later, um, would begin to walk through a very similar road that we did in August, when my mother-in-law would actually lose the battle to ovarian cancer. Uh, You you know, When you live through these moments, you're thinking, gosh, (laughs) What do I do? Like, God, what are you doing? And it was in these few months that passed that I began to realize something about myself. And what I realized is that I genuinely hate suffering. I mean, even telling you the stories today bring back raw emotions that I still have to work through and still go to God about. But I really understood and, and, and saw, listen, I hate suffering. And so I want you to know that today that suffering simply defined as when, when things don't go the way you planned. When you define suffering this way, you realize that we've all experienced it. We've at, all had moments, uh, moments of tragedy, but yet also moments of day-to-day where we've experienced things. We've gone through things that didn't go the way we planned it. You, you think about divorce in our culture. You know, I, I don't think people got married and thought, you know what, I'll do this. and In a few years, I'll plan to get a divorce. No, no, no. It, it wasn't the plan, when people get married and they have children, they, they think they dream of their child being perfect and then they find out maybe their child has a disability. You know, like that, that wasn't the plan. Oh, you go to the doctor for that routine checkup and you get that phone call back, hey, we noticed something, we need you to come back in. Like, that's not what you had planned. And whenever something happens in, in a way in which you did not plan, you experience suffering. And suffering happens on, on large, you know, Tragedies, but also happens on day to day things like y- you all in here uh, uh, you should um, you should go twice a year and get your teeth cleaned at the dentist right you, and so you, you go to the dentist because this you know a biannual thing you go and they, they start doing the, the teeth cleaning and they say to you to me, Chris, hey chris you, you 've got a cavity no i don 't <laughs> no you 're mistaking. I brush my teeth twice a day, and I floss." Sometimes. Um, (laughs) No, you actually have a cavity, you need to have it filled. So you know, we've all experienced, well not all of us, some of you guys have perfect teeth, um, but some of us have experienced having to go back and get a cavity filled and you know, some of us have gone into the cavity filled and they're like, hey, you know what? The cavity's actually deeper than we thought. You're gonna need a root canal and that's gonna cost you $2,000. Whoa, 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 whoa. That wasn't the plan, you know? I was just getting my teeth cleaned. I didn't need a root canal, right? When things don't go the way we planned, we experience suffering. Uh, everyone in here, I think, most of us got here today by a car. Most of us own cars. And, and for a second, think about this. You get that coupon in the mail. It's like 1999 oil change, which is like the greatest deal in the world, right? And imagine for me, you know, some of us have gone in to get that 1999 oil change. Um, just, you know, we're there for the deal and someone walks up and says, hey, we, we're doing your oil change and we realize you have an oil leak and it needs to be repaired, and it's gonna cost you, you know, $1,000. Like, wait, 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 wait. That was not what I had planned. You know, when Jamie and I were moving here to Michigan, we tried our best to plan out everything. We wanted to make sure that everything went according to plan so that we didn't have to experience any suffering. We didn't plan everything. So we moved into our house and uh, we love our home in Brighton. But after about a week, we began to realize our water just it just tastes funny. Something's not right, we, we love sweet tea. And our water was making our sweet tea taste really funky, like something is not right with it. And so we told some of our friends, they're like, hey, you, know, you should call some companies, they'll come out and test your water. And so we did just that, called a few companies. And they all acknowledged, they all agreed that, hey, the problem you have is that your water softener is too small for your family. Okay, like well, what's a water softener, you know? And it's like, well, this thing that adds salt to your water so you don't have hard water. Like, oh, this is great. I'm learning a whole bunch when I move here. And he's like, hey, listen, your water softener is built for a family of two to three and you have like 27. Um, <laughs> not really, but my kids take baths, which is like hundreds of gallons of water and they splash it everywhere. But he said, hey, listen, your water softener is it's not recycling often enough and you just need a bigger water softener so you have more softened water and that's gonna cost you a, a, a good bit of money. And I remember thinking, you know, I didn't, I didn't plan for that. And whenever I experience suffering, my, my first response is to see if there's a quick fix. Is there a way that I can avoid the suffering? Can I... Can I, you know, like push her aside, can I do something to alleviate me having to suffer? So I immediately go to that drawer everyone has in their house. It's that junk drawer that has like duct tape and scissors and matches, you know, all the things you need to fix something temporarily, you know, I'm like, so is there anything in this drawer that I could, you know, possibly just do a quick fix on my water softener? And unfortunately there wasn't. So I turned to my last resort, Google, you know, because... Google knows all things. So I, I log on to Google and I search my water softener and sure enough, I find there is a, a way that I can avoid the suffering. I can avoid replacing my water softener. See, I can go into the settings of my water softener and I can change it to recycle every day not when it's empty. So therefore, I never run out of softened water. I'm like, this is genius. Like, I'm brilliant. I feel like a mad scientist. I've fixed something, you know? And so I go into my water softener and I do just that. I fix the settings and now it softens water or recycles every night so that all day long we have soft water, which tastes much better. But there's a problem. Because it's recycling every night, it's it's flushing out more water, which caused a backup in the drain that's in the drop ceiling of my basement. And so the next morning, I'm going down to check on my my new found freedom of not having to replace my water softener to step into a puddle of water. And I'm like, no, you know what happened? It's busted through a ceiling tile and it's soaked everything. And, And see, in my effort to avoid suffering, I just created more suffering. And so there's a truth that I wanna teach you guys today that's been kind of becoming true more and more every day of my life. And this is the truth, that suffering is to be expected in our life and it has a purpose. Suffering is to be expected in our life And it has a purpose. You know, All throughout the Bible, we hear stories of people who suffered. And I want to look at some New Testament quick snapshots of seeing people actually are told to expect suffering. If you would, uh, we're going to read in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And it says this. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Did you catch it? He says, whenever, not, not if. He doesn't say, consider it joy if you face trials. He says, when you face trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And man, we love the last part of that verse. We really, we really do. Like, I wanna be mature and complete and not lacking anything, but the problem is, is that for a lot of us in the room, we try to avoid suffering at all costs. We don't let it finish its work. So we actually never see the end or the conclusion of what suffering has for our life. But nonetheless, James says we are to expect it whenever it comes. In John 16:33, it says this, Jesus is speaking. In this world, you will have Good morning, Northridge. In this world, you will have trouble. trouble. Jesus says it's going to come. It's going to happen. In this world, you will experience, you will have moments where things you didn't plan to happen, happen. No matter how much effort you put into the planning, it will go differently than expected. It won't happen the way you planned. You will have moments of trouble. But man, it's so awesome when Jesus speaks, he, he not only tells you that you will have trouble, but he brings it up with hope and he says, um, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And, and John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we read that verse, it's like, really? Like, I don't know about you, but when I see that, I'm like, that's, that's not good news. Like the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There's someone out there, there is an enemy who is opposed at all things good in my life and he wants nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. That's that's a hard truth to take in. But yet Jesus finishes that verse that is, there is a enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full, he brings in hope. You know, there's a story told in Matthew seven of these two men. And these two men build a home, and they both individually build it. One is wise and builds his house upon the, the rocks, and one is foolish and builds his house on the sand. And as the story unfolds, a storm comes, um, a, a pretty massive storm, enough to where the house on the sand is devoured, it's, it's eradicated, it's erased, it, it falls to the ground. And the story continues, but the wise man whose house was built on the rock, it, It stands. And we always teach a lesson in this this story that, hey, it's good to be obedient and make wise choices, which is totally true. But the truth that this story also reveals is that both men had to endure the storm. See, suffering is to be expected. But not only is it supposed to be expected, we need to realize that it has a purpose for our life. In the Old Testament, the last book, there's a story uh, told by a prophet. Um, his name is Malachi, and Malachi is talking to the nation of Israel, um, and he's, he's bringing them good news because they've experienced some bad news recently. See, these people, the nation of Israel, have been long awaited the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. They've been awaiting their king to come. See, in two books prior to that, um, they were responsible for rebuilding the temple. And when the temple was finished, God would send his king. At least that's what they had planned. Their plan was that when we finished the temple, God would send the king and there would be no more suffering for us as a people. We would be under the rule and reign of this chosen king by God and all other nations would now surrender to us. We would be the power. And this is what they long for. So when Malachi shows up, he brings them some really good news. And he says this in Malachi 3, um, verse 1. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me Then suddenly the Lord who you're seeking will come to his temple. This messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty. Like he gives them some good news. He tells them that this guy by the name of John the Baptist will come as a messenger. He'll prepare the way. And then he will send the one they've been waiting for, the king who's going to come and satisfy and eradicate all of their suffering. They're being told some really good news. And then Malachi with one word, changes everything. With one word, he erases everything he said before this point. Look at verse two. He says, but, I hate this word. It ruins all things good. Uh, You know, every time I finish teaching, I go to my wife, who's my, um, my realist, she's honest, she tells me the truth, she's genuine, and I ask the question, how did I do, how did I teach? Was it good, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, it was good, but no, no, you can't say the word but because it erases everything that was good up until this moment. You can't do that. You know, like when you say this word, I forget the good part, and now I'm only focused on the bad part. But changes everything. I mean, for you and your household, maybe this happens. My wife loves. Pinterest, and she loves to find really cool um, recipes that we've never had. And they're all amazing. But there's been an occasion sometimes where she'd make something and, you know, it was a little different, you know, it was a trial thing. She's like, Well, did you like it? Yeah, but, oh, nope, nope. Now I've made her mad. She's, <laughs> she's mad because the word but showed up. Well, you didn't like it. But changes everything. And so Malachi starts off with this word but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. He says in the very beginning that he asks this question, like who will be able to stand? Who will be able to endure as if this king this, this, this Messiah who's coming is bringing with him pain and suffering. Can you imagine what their ears are hearing? Wait a second. You know, we've got this all planned out, and that's not what we have planned. And Malachi continues. He's like, there, there's more. He's, he's coming as a refiner's fire. You know, 12 times in the Bible, God is referenced as a refiner's fire. And in the reference, the picture that's being painted is the refining process of gold. You know, when, when gold is found, it's usually clumped up in a mess of dirty stuff. It looks like just a dirty rock. And In fact, if you were to have a clump of unrefined gold in your front yard, you'd probably pick it up and throw it into the woods because you wouldn't see any value in it. It's like a, a dirty rock. But to the right eye, they know what they're doing. They take this dirty rock and they put it in a a bowl and they heat it up to its molten state, which is around 1940 degrees. They heat up gold until it liquefies. And as it liquefies, all the impurities burn off or rise to the top and they clean the gold off. And next thing you know, you have pure gold. And this is the picture that he's painting for this nation that this king who is coming is coming as a refiner's fire. And just imagine, like, wait a second, that's not what we had planned. This nation has planned that he will come and rule and reign and establish them as the power in the world and all other nations, all other kings, all other people will bow down. But what they're hearing from Malachi is, no, he's, he's coming in a different way that you planned. He's coming and he's not worried about all the other nations, he's worried about you. He's coming to refine you. And in their mind, they know what this means. They're like, you, you, you mean he's coming to look into my heart? And refining means pressure and, and tension and heat and pain and maybe even suffering. He's coming to do that to us? Well, in case they didn't get it, he gives a, a second illustration. He says, you know, a or soap. Some versions say a fooler's soap. And, and this illustration in this picture is when linen need to be, need to be made white, they would take a, a millstone and they would press a, a detergent, a soap that they've made, and they would scour cloth until it would be made white, like under pressure and force until it was pure. Oh, I can only imagine how they were responding. Well, wait, that's not how we planned it. We plan to come and to solve our problems, not come and to look at our own. And I do believe that a lot of us in the room today, a lot of us here listening online at other campuses, I I believe we can relate to how the Israelites must have felt. I I just want my plan to be the thing that we do. I just want my plan to work. It'll be simple and easy. Just do what I have planned, God. But what happens when he doesn't do it the way you planned? You know, I, I think back to my story I told you in the beginning. You know, my plan was that my mother-in-law would just be cured of cancer. You know, we were told six years ago when we found out, oh, we found it early. It was in the, you know, the, the simplest stage. We've got it. You're gonna be good. And each year, it progressed. If it would just go as I planned, If it would just go the way we planned, she'd still be here. My my cousin, if if it would just go as planned, they would remove the tumor, she'd be fine, she'd be healed, and she'd still be the mother of her two daughters today, and the wife of a husband and that family would still be complete. If it would just go the way that we planned. You know, Malachi's working really hard to, to teach them something, to show them something that, listen, Even though it's not going the way you planned, what you are getting is far better than the way you planned it. Did you hear that, church? Malachi is trying to teach them this. Even though you're not getting what you planned, what you are getting is far better than what you planned it to be. See, what they were getting was not just a king who would rule on earth and in a power. They were gonna get Jesus, the Messiah, who came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to restore the broken heart. He came to refine and make his people new. He came to die in order that we might live. They were getting Jesus, not a earthly king, but Jesus, a, a heavenly king who he would change the world for eternity. What they got was so much better than what they'd planned. See, when we know the truth that we should expect suffering and that it has a purpose, it forces our perspective to change. It forces us to see things differently. See, truth changes your perspective. Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians 4, He's working hard to change the perspective and he's using this, this, he says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's painting a a picture between what is seen versus what is unseen or what is temporal versus what is eternal and he says what is seen is that you are outwardly outwardly wasting away but what is unseen is that you are being renewed day by day and there's a difference he says outwardly these are momentary troubles But inwardly, something is being made new that has a far greater purpose in your life, an eternal purpose. And he he wants them to know that that truth changes your perspective. Stop looking to what is seen and and start understanding and listening and looking into what is unseen. Think about it this way. Let's let's pretend just for a second. So I have four young children. I pretend all the time in my house. Um, Let's pretend that today, we all, every single one in the person in this room, and you listening online and all my other campuses, today we are going to all make the decision that tomorrow morning we are going to go to the gym together and work out. Woohoo! You sound excited. We're pretending. You can be excited. We're, we're not really doing this for real. We're pretending. And so we're going to all go on Monday morning to the gym, and at this gym that we go to, it's leg day. Yeah, now you're even more excited. Yeah, so um, on leg day, we're gonna, we're gonna ride a bike for 30 minutes, a spin class. We're gonna do some squats and lunges, and we're gonna do a leg press. Now, I have no clue how these machines work, but we're gonna make it up for just a few minutes. <laughs> I've been to a gym a few times. Okay, so we're gonna ride our bike, we're gonna do leg presses, uh, three sets of 200 pounds, and we're going to do squats and lunges, I don't know, a whole bunch of times. Now, when we leave the gym on Monday, here's the truth. From here down, it's gonna feel like a noodle, you know, you're gonna walk funny, you know, you're you're gonna be in a little bit of, you know, this is discomfort. But that discomfort will will not compare at all to what you will face on Monday morning, or Tuesday morning. On Tuesday morning when you wake up, you will realize when you get out of bed that those legs that you thought were noodles are now sore and you're struggling to walk. In fact, getting off the toilet might be your hardest challenge for the day. (laughs) Okay, because... Because your legs are so sore. Now imagine for a moment that you did not know that, that muscle soreness was actually a good thing. It was your body recovering. If you did not know that, do you think on, on Wednesday and Thursday, do you think you would actually go back to the gym and work out again? No. Don't lie to me. None of us would go back. If you woke up and you couldn't walk and if you sit down you couldn't stand back up, like I'm never doing this again in my life. But the truth is, see we we know that muscle soreness is actually our body healing and we're getting stronger. And so therefore we, we push through. See the truth changes our perspective. But for so many of us in the room here today and around the world, we've believed the lie that when we face suffering, we're being punished. And that is not true. For the follower of Jesus, when you suffer, you are not being punished. God allowing us to experience moments that we did not plan for actually comes from a deep love for us. God allowing us to experience moments that we didn't plan for to allow things that happen in a way in which we didn't plan is it, it comes from a deep love for us. See, the definition of love is simple. It's the commitment to act for another person's good. But see if some of us in here believe that love is the definition of love is to do no harm. I mean, if, if you're a good God, you shouldn't do bad things, but that's not the truth. Listen, love is to be willing to do short term harm for a redemptive purpose. Love is to be willing to do short term harm for a redemptive purpose. Think about physicians and, and teachers and parents and, and pet owners. We regularly demonstrate that we can, uh, you know, lovingly afflict for a higher good, a short term lovingly infliction for a higher good. I think about a doctor who has a patient with a broken arm and he has to re break that arm in in order that it might heal properly. I mean, he has to inflict some short-term pain in an effort to heal. I think about my children. We have a a family rule that whenever we're in a parking lot, regardless, we hold hands. That's the rule of my family. Now, my two-year-old coming into this rule thinks that I'm the worst parent on the face of the planet. Some of you have two-year-olds. She thinks that I am stealing from her her freedom to do what she longs to do. That's the farthest thing from the truth. See, the truth is that I'm willing to lovingly inflict some emotional harm on her, some emotional distress, some emotional suffering, because I have the truth in perspective. I am way taller than her. I can see over the other cars. I can see cars driving like crazy trying to get out of Northridge Church's parking lot. <laughs> None of you guys. That was last service. <laughs> but I know the truth. I have the perspective, so I'm willing to hold on to her hand tightly so that she can't walk out in front of a car and be harmed. See, when we know the truth, that we're to expect suffering and that it has a purpose. Our perspective changes. Truth requires, it demands a perspective change. But I know there's some of us still in the room today that you're saying, so what, Chris? So what? So, what if I'm supposed to know the truth that I'm supposed to expect suffering and that it has a purpose? That doesn't help me now. That doesn't help me going through what I'm going through. It doesn't help the pain. It doesn't help the loss. It doesn't help the fear. It doesn't help the suffering. So, what do I do now? I should be honest with you today. Suffering does not have a quick fix. It doesn't exist. Suffering doesn't have a quick fix. But here's what I do know. In John 16, it says you will have trouble. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. See, what I do know is that in the midst of our suffering, Jesus is present and he's working to refine us, to make us into his image so that we can have a lasting impact on the world. So here's what I want you to know today. I I wanna share with you just a few pieces of application that I think, they don't get you out of your suffering, but I think they can help you in the midst of it. It Maybe you can help change your perspective. So the first thing is this. When suffering, instead of drawing away from God, draw near to him. You know, James 4, eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, when we experience suffering, what we naturally do is either avoid it or run from it. We try to drown it, we try to forget about it. And there's people in this room today who have been running from their suffering. You have been running away from it. You have been keeping yourself extremely busy so that you could avoid it. Or you've even taking action to become addicted to a substance so that you could drown it out to forget it. And you find yourself here today and you are exhausted. You are tired of running away from the thing that you've been suffering from. And here's what I wanna tell you. What you long for is rest. You know, Jesus says this. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Rest. You know, there's people in this room today, there's some of you in this room today where you're just so tired of running from the suffering that you've been experiencing. But maybe never once in your life have you decided to run to Jesus. You've just been running from him. You've been trying to do it all by yourself, all on your own. And today you have the chance, I'm gonna give you the chance just a minute, to stop running from and run to Jesus says this, to, if you confess to your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says that you will be saved. Another word that this saved transfers or translates into is you will be, uh, you'll be rescued. And there's so many of us here that long to be rescued. And I just want to give you the opportunity just to call out to him for the first time. In just a second, we're going to pray. And here's what I ask you to do, maybe for the first time in your life. I ask you to take the words that I say and you say them to God. In Jeremiah 33, it says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and untouchable truths you do not know. What he's asking for us to do is just use our voice, use our heart and call out to him. He's listening. And I wanna, I'm gonna pray. You're gonna take my words, make them your own. And I just want you to say what I say. I want you to say, hey God, listen, I just, I'm tired of running. And I need your help. Online, you can do the same thing. So if you guys would bow your heads with me. Take these words and make them your own. Jesus, I'm tired of running. Jesus, I'm exhausted. I've been carrying this burden, this suffering all by myself and I need help. Jesus, I'm confessing with my mouth that I've done it the wrong way and I need you. Will you forgive me? Will you help carry this burden? Will you lead me in the way of everlasting? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, so if you're with me here today at one of our campuses or even online, would you do me just one simple favor? If you prayed that prayer with me, would you let me know? At our campuses, we give out a program and in the back of the program there's a connect card In the connect card, you can simply just fill out some basic information. And the bottom of it says, today I I prayed to receive Christ in my life for the first time. Or I even renewed my commitment to Christ. If you would check the appropriate box and then just drop it off um, at any of our auditoriums in a box as you exit. And one of our team wants to, will follow up with you this week. And in fact, you'll get a letter from our senior pastor explaining some next steps and, and how we want to encourage you in your walk of following with Jesus, especially as maybe for the first time you've turned from what you've been experiencing and you turn to Jesus. If you're online today, simply click the next step button and it will do the same thing for you. It'll allow us to give you some information. You know, for some of you, listen, you've just tried to do it all by yourself and by praying this prayer, you're now acknowledging, hey, Jesus, I want your help. And that's exactly as a church what we wanna do. We wanna help you not do this on your own. We wanna help you run to Jesus who can give you rest and peace. And so first thing was when suffering, instead of drawing away from God, draw near to him. The second thing is this. When suffering, instead of pulling away from God's people, move closer to them. You know, Northridge Church is is not meant to be a a loosely bound association of functional lone rangers. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're, we're meant to be a church who loves and cares for one another. You know, in Galatians 6, 2, Paul says it this way. He says that we are to carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He wants us to, to work together, to, to lighten the load that when we are experiencing suffering, when things aren't going the way we planned, that there are people around us that can help us through it. And that's what Northridge Church is, is meant to be. That's why I love this place so much. It's because when, when you're suffering, we are the hands of feet. We are the church. We're meant to come and stand with you. When you're hurting, we're the, the people who are to, to come beside you and apply the bandages. When you feel alone and, and forgotten and defeated, we're the ones who come in and encourage and support and lift you up. That's the meaning of the church. That's what Northridge is all about. But you've got to take the first step. You've got to stop running from and run to, You know, at this church, we have probably one of the most incredible care teams I've ever seen. A staff of people who are a, a, equipped to deal with all types of suffering. Man, would you let us know if you are suffering so that our team can support you, that we can help you get into community, get into life with people that you, your burden could be carried with other people, not just by yourself. In fact, you, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, listen, what you're talking about, I need right now. You know, at the end of this service, we'll have a prayer team down front, at the front of this, right here in front of the stage. And all you have to do is walk up to them. And they would love to encourage you. They'd love to pray for you. They'd love to help you in any way they possibly can, but you've gotta come to them. You've gotta walk down to them. Stop running from Jesus. Stop running from, but yet run to Jesus. Stop running from God's people. Start running to God's people. These are the first two things of application. And the third is this. When you have experienced suffering, when you have experienced it, you are now capable of helping others. Listen to this. First-hand experience and suffering is essential to help others. In 2 Corinthians 1, 4, Paul says this. Praise be to the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. It's this is the idea that once we've suffered, once we've experienced it, and we've received the, the love that God has for us, we are now able to take that love and give it, transfer it to somebody else who's experiencing something similar to us. We can help others because we have experienced it. A writer by the name of Paulson in a book called "Suffering and the Sovereignty of God" says it this way. He says, "You've passed through your own very trials and found God to be true to what He says." you have real help to offer. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into his image. What you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure. See, you're learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. What God does in us and through us in our suffering, we are now able to help and care for those around us. Jamie and I last night were watching, or I was telling her about this message and she was watching a little video on Facebook of a guy who's speaking at a conference in Atlanta in January called the Passion Conference. And he said this, and I wanted to share with you guys today. He said that since God puts to use what he puts you through. Did you hear that? Since God puts to use what he puts you through, would you be willing to allow your pain to become a platform that would benefit someone else? Since God puts to use what he puts you through, would you be willing to allow your pain to become a platform in order to help someone else? See, church, when we we know the truth, that we are to expect suffering, that it has a purpose, our perspective changes. We see it differently. It's then that we begin to draw near to God. It's then we begin to draw near to his people. And it's then we begin to help others who've experienced what we have experienced. Church, I'll tell you this. If you want to know the purpose of your suffering you must draw near to Jesus. Draw near to others in community and then be willing to allow him to use you to change others. Then and only then will we begin to experience the purpose of our suffering. Hey, thanks so much for being here this morning. Thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure. You guys have a great day and we'll see you next weekend. You're dismissed.